This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Norma Edwards. During Norma's near-death experience, she went to the Akashic Records, and today we're going to learn about it. Norma, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Quite excited today. If you don't mind, can we just start on the day that your NDE happened and go from there? I was three days short of my 26th birthday. And I had been away from um, work for almost three months on and off. And doctors could not tell what was wrong with me. But then that was because um, having had my first child and it was, you know, very difficult. They decided I couldn't have any more children. So nobody ran a pregnancy test. And in fact, I was carrying a baby. The baby had died inside of me. I was carrying a dead fetus. And I collapsed in an elevator. The interesting thing about that day is that the only other person in the elevator was a Hindu woman. Hmm. And she was wearing her traditional clothes, a dot on the forehead. And um, when the elevator door opened, she, I mean, she, she got into action very quickly. And since the hospital was about three blocks away from the building I was in, she hailed a cab. And they got me into this cab and they got me to the hospital and um, the cab driver helped, helped her to get me, get me um, into the emergency room where I became unconscious. Now, the cab driver drove away with my handbag with all my identification. He came back the next day and brought it back. But now they're saying to her, what is her name? I don't know. Where is she from? I don't know. Is she married? I knew nothing about me. So she stayed, you see. They took a picture of me and they turned it over to the cops who then had to get on the route. This is in London. Had to find out something about me, who I was, et cetera, et cetera. By the time they found my husband, I had already gone through... Um, the emergency room, had an operation, had my near-death experience, and I was in recovery by the time they found him and got him to the hospital, but she stayed. And I stress this because, you see, at the time, I was a very strict Christian. She was a very strict Hindu woman. And we became friends. One of the things we agreed on, that if our friendship was going to last, we would never discuss religion. And the two families became as a result of that. Well, I remember, I mean, very, 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 very difficult pain before I passed out. And so that was the last memory I had. And then the next thing I know is I am feeling quite exhilarated, but I'm on the ceiling looking down at the doctors and nurses. 
and um, nurses are going back and forth, you know, with the instruments and so on. And, and I'm absolutely totally confused, but I'm processing real well. And in the middle of all this, I flatlined. And from this position above the operating room, I'm looking at the equipment and the thought in my head is, this is crazy. I'm very much alive. The equipment is malfunctioning because I felt fine. I am processing fine. As a matter of fact, I remember thinking, I counted the number of nurses they were there and I'm like, I can't be dead, I'm processing. And so when the doctor picked up the, you know, the instruments to shock, to shock the heart, the thought that came into my head was, uh, these people are kind of lost it. Their equipment is not working. I have to get out of here somehow before they actually kill me. So with that thought, I found myself straight through the ceiling. I know that sounds hard to believe. And into an extremely dark tunnel. One of the things it taught me is that we have to go through darkness to get to light. The darkness was so deep that you could feel it in your soul. And then suddenly there was a spark of light that began to oscillate. And each time it oscillated, it grew wider and wider. And of course, if you're in a very dark tunnel, all of your attention gets focused on the light. And um, come around a corner and I could see this phenomenal, there's no other way to experience, this phenomenal light in front of me. And I remember thinking, that is to tell you how well I was processing. And if I survived this, the, the coronas in my eyes would probably be burnt out from the velocity of the light that I was approaching. And then I merged. Jeff, I have to tell you, there are no words in any language to describe the feeling of joy, peace, beauty, harmony I experienced when I merged with them. And so here I am in this very, very, very bright place. I guess some people call it heaven. It was just the place I found myself in. And I'm thinking, how do I get around in this environment? And no sooner I think it, I'm moving, find myself moving. And I'm drawn to what looks like a coliseum. You know, the Romans built those coliseums with 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 the, the mighty pillars I'm drawn to this Colosseum and I come to a stop. And we are talking here about nine. I was 26 years of age. I'm 79 now. (laughs) I had never seen a television screen that big. And this was this humongous television screen. And it lit up. When it lit up, it had three distinct um, sections. And then the first, it began to scroll very slowly. And as it's scrolling, I could see language written there, you see. And on the left-hand side, the very first column was my life as I had planned it. It was also my life as I had lived it for 26 years. And in the middle column was what I did with what was given to me while I was here on earth. Now I'm really, really amused. You know, people think that this review is a frightening thing. I was laughing my head off because I'm thinking, how could I have been so stupid? Why did I believe half of these things that were told to me, you see? 
And I'm watching the, the, the middle scroll. It's running and it's showing me my life, shows me the choices. It showed me that many of the experiences I had were opportunities for growth. One of the things that really caught my attention was the fact that I asked the question, who taught me how to pray? They didn't teach it to me right. Because I discovered that many of the things that I had diligently prayed for, the law of attraction had drawn into my life, but it had nothing to do with my purpose. So in point and in fact, I had created a number of obstacles in my way, and I could see it because my head is moving from the left to the right. And the right-hand column looked as though someone had created a stamp. And the stamp said, objective not accomplished. Objective not accomplished. And I'm looking back at the other two columns, and I'm like, what kind of a fool could I have been that I missed the point? And finally, um, the scroll came to an end. And that was my the 26 years that I had just lived. But I had a whole lot of questions. You see, as a child, I always had questions with the Christian community. Like, for example, one of the things that nobody could answer when I was a child was Christ said, okay, he came so you can have life and have it more abundantly. But people are still dying. And, and that question got me in trouble. My mother said, when you go to church, sing the hymns, say the prayers, do not even look at pastor because you're embarrassing us with these questions, you see. And that question popped into my head again. And as soon as it did, the screen cleared and it began to re-scroll again. Only this time, they have dropped six past lives into the screen. So I'm now assessing seven Lifetimes of my life. And boy, was that an eye opener. I could see why I drew the people that I drew into my family here on earth. And the fact that we journeyed together, in some cases, there were a lot of love. In other cases, there was a lot of karma that had to be balanced. I saw myself in between lives. When I left one lifetime, And I'm on the other side and I am processing the new life and being very careful about the number of adversities I have to put in there so that I can learn. Get this one. In one lifetime, I saw myself as a little slave, black slave girl in the fields picking cotton. The slave master is on the horse with the whip and I'm scared, I'm afraid that when he gets to me, I'll feel the whip of that, the whip of that lash, the lash of that whip on my back. And then I moved to the next lifetime. And there I was. I was a slave master mm. on the horse, using the whip. I learned a lot about life. And how it is and why it is and what it is. And that above all things that I learned is adversity is the greatest teacher. Who feels it knows it. I learned that I saw myself in biblical times. 
I saw myself among the women when Moses was pulled out of the bulrushes. I saw myself living in dire, dire poverty. I saw myself living um, as an acclaimed uh, ruler, et cetera, et cetera. But it was just an amazing combination. Now, when the scroll came to an end, it answered many of my questions that I had been carrying. And then again, I wondered, how do I get from this place to the next? And I found myself moving again. And I found myself at the river. When, when I was a child, we sang in church, yes, we will gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river, the river that flows from the throne of God. There is a river. And there I was on one side of the river and on the other side of the river were hundreds of people. Some of them I knew because I had met them in my life that I had just left. Most of them I did not know, but I could feel the velocity of love coming at me. These were all people who loved me dearly, who'd walked with me in other lifetimes. And they were very excited to see me. Then my aunt got into the stream and she began to walk towards me. And I got into the stream, hoping that we would meet in midstream. And she stopped at one point and she says, I'm sorry. They've decided they will not let you cross. You have to go back. And I said, why? And she says, they want to send you back with a message. And I said, but there are millions of people back there. You can give the message to one of them. <laughs> and my aunt said, no, um, you have to go back and tell them. There is more to life than meets the eye. Life is eternal. And no sooner she said that, it's like everybody on the, on the other side of the river waves me on and, and, and I could feel the love that they were sending towards me, which I received. And I got this sense that when I got back, I would get all the help that they could possibly give me so that I could fulfill my purpose. Now, the next thing I know, once she said goodbye, I found myself falling, 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 almost at the speed of light. And when I slammed into my body, I was still under anesthesia, but I opened my eyes to excruciating pain. And the journey of depression began. Once I got out of um, the operating room, you know, they put you in a, in, a, in, a, in a room with two nurses so that they could observe you. And it was, I guess, by now two or three in the morning. And they had a little radio between them. And it was playing classical music. I opened my eyes and I looked. And all of a sudden, I could see music. I could see the notes. Every note is tied to a color. Every color is tied to a mathematical symbol. I was just absolutely fascinated. When the music came to an end, the images faded. As soon as the next piece of music started again, the images were there. And I could see how the, the light and the color was impacting not only the two people sitting at the table, but every now and again, you know, a doctor or a nurse would walk past. And, and this fascinated me and led me to the work that I eventually ended up doing on the, on the planet, using sound, music, and rhythm to heal people, particularly people who are drug addicted. So I came back to Earth, not a very happy camper. 
three years of depression, three attempts uh, at taking my life. Uh, both, all of them failed. When the last one failed, they hauled me back upstairs. And I was told, um, if you attempt this again, we will only find a baby's body, put you into that body because you have got to finish the assignment. And that I was told at the time what my life's work would be. But it seems as though as soon as I came, I opened my eyes, I kind of lost the image. And for years, I could not remember what it is my life's purpose. But I believe that was because I had to go through a tremendous amount of training before I could engage. So once I came back, uh, I became obsessed with the fact that, well, if I had a near-death experience, it took me to the other side. In a dream state, it took me to the other side. And then my, my, my desire was, can I return for just one more time? And all of the work that was necessary that had to be put in, had to be put in. And I have been blessed to return four times in a conscious state. That's the sum total of my near-death experience. My life since then has made a 200-degree turn, turnaround. I came back with a whole lot more empathy. I came back with very heightened senses. I came back with, and then, then of course, being in anguish sometimes, because I could look at people and, and I, and I want to say to them sometimes, you've got cancer. But instead, what I would say, when was the last time you had a, a, a medical done? You probably need to go see your doctor because I could look at people and I could see what's going on inside of the interior. Often I could, I could read their fears. And so I had to go through training so that I can adjust to living with these heightened uh, senses. But the one that the one that, that interested me the most was sound, rhythm, and movement. Much, much later, after it took eight spiritual teachers, none of which I went out and found, they found me took eight spiritual teachers, three continents, five children, two marriages to get me to where I needed to be, to eventually um, do the work I needed to do. Once I was given instructions from the other side on uh, how to help to heal people, I was very clear that I was not a psychologist. And so I said to those on the other side, I'm not a psychologist, who in the world would let me into their life, <laughs> you know? And of course, at the time I was married, I was having babies, raising children. There was no time to go back to school to get a psychological degree. And they said, well, take it into prisons. And that's what I did. I created something called Reprogram Your Life. And I became America's very first spiritual therapist where I was allowed to merge spirituality into clinical practice and did that for 27 years until I retired. Well, Norma, thank you so much for sharing that with us. One thing I find interesting is you are the probably the fourth or maybe fifth person who has described the Akashic records place as Roman ruins or Greek ruins with the columns. Do you have any, any information like why it is designed like something of ancient Greek or Rome? 
I never asked the question. I probably will ask the question and see if I get an answer. Because today I'm very much in touch with my with my guide, my mm-hmm. main guide. Um, I've I've having the opportunity to return four times. <clears throat> I've been able to ask a no, number of questions, but that was not one of them. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll ask the question and see if I get an answer. And if I get an answer, I'll let you know. Thank you. You were praying for stuff that was not your purpose. Can you tell us more about that? What you were praying for and what your purpose is? Well, like everybody else, I was praying for money. I wanted to get rich. And you know what? The law of attraction is real. If you put it out there and you consistently put it out there, it will manifest. And by the time uh, my husband, my ex-husband and I were 35, 36 years of age, everything I had asked for was there. Guess what? It all had to be taken back in order for me to fulfill what it is I came here to do. So this is what I say to people. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people like very much invested in the law of attraction. It's energy. You put the energy out there, and the energy will attach itself to what it is that you're asking for. It will bring it back. Now, if that is part of your life's purpose, wonderful. If it's not what I saw in the records, you have now got these obstacles. It's like trying to drive on a highway, but there's these great big boulders in the way. So it impedes your journey. You got to slow down. You got to go around. You see what I'm saying? When I asked the question, who taught me how to pray? They did not teach me everything about it. Prayer has two parts to it, the asking and then be still Shut up and listen for the answers. And the reason why we believe prayers are not being answered is because nobody taught us how to listen for the answers. Listening requires you to go inwards. If you're seeking truth, I learned in the record, you've got to go inside of you. I was told that every single manuscript, every single book that has ever been written lies within us. So if you really want to learn truth, we need to master meditation and go inside and that's where we'll find truth because what we're reading on the outside is man's interpretation of the truth i believe that your message that you're supposed to tell everybody is that we're that we are eternal we are eternal you were sent back to tell everybody that we forget about our past lives so we you know it will learn then why are we supposed to learn this message or why do we need this message of Because first of all, you see, um, nothing stays the same. In 2012, I had the privilege of being on air when the earth shifted. It shifted from the third dimension into the fifth dimension. We've got lots more dimensions to go. I've been as far as the 16th. We cannot just sit around with the information that we have. And our ability to access better information is impeded by our fear. And the biggest fear we have is the fear of death. You know, I often get people um, call me or they send me messages asking. They have this feeling at night or even if they try to sleep in the day where they kind of get out of their body and they're in a gray space and they can't get back into the body. Well, that is the universe saying it is time for you to travel dimensionally. But the fears that you hold inside of you is what's holding you back. 
See, when we go through a near-death experience, when we come back, we have no fear of death. And because we have no fear of death, it allows us to travel dimensionally. It allows us to see things from a totally different perspective. So the, the message is very important so that we can understand. This body, this physical body, think of it like this. It's like an astronaut. An astronaut puts on a suit, doesn't he? And he knows very well that when he's on the moon or he's on Mars, he can't take that suit off. But immediately he splashes down in the water in the United States of America. What's the first thing he does? He discards his suit. Now, to someone he met out in the other dimensions, he's died to them. You see what I'm saying? But he's still alive. Our souls live on. We are eternal. We never die. We come. We are sent so that we can experience some things, so we can become more empathic. We can become more compassionate. We can learn how to love. And then once we have learned that, we take it back to the other side. And when we get to the other side, there is work. First, you become maybe a personal guide to someone who is here on earth. Then as you have grown, you may be a guide to a whole planetary system. We've got to wake up and understand that our lives is not dominated by 50, 60 years on planet Earth, and it's over. You shed the physical body, much like if you have a car and, and it doesn't work anymore, you discard the car, but you don't discard the driver. The driver of the car is like your soul. Do you think humanity as a whole is in a position right now where it needs to evolve and start traveling other dimensions and humanity is stuck because of this fear of death. And that's why you're given this message. Yes, we're stuck in fear. And, and unfortunately, I'm going to say this, and I, I, I am a pastor and I will probably get flack for it. Mm-hmm. A lot of that fear comes from religious doctrine. On the one hand, I had a problem with, I am preaching that there's unconditional love. There's a God that loves us unconditionally. Well, look up the meaning of unconditional. I have children. I know what the meaning of unconditional love is. You know what the meaning of unconditional love. How can you turn around now and say that, well, if you don't behave, you'll burn in hell. We're sending out mixed messages. And the mixed messages has got a whole portion of humanity locked in fear. And we cannot evolve unless we we shake the fear off. And I do believe this is the reason why now, the very first time I attended an, an, an IONS conference was four years ago. Oh, my God. When I came home, I said to my husband, I felt like I, I, I just left the most beautiful, loving experience I've ever had in my life. Because, you see, we've all given up the fear of, of death. We, we now understand that, that there's a difference between doctrine and spirituality. And once we're meditating, we start to meditate. We go on the inside and we uncover truth. But yes, humanity is being forced to disengage itself from these levels of fear that we have. 
Since we fear death so much, we fear disease. And because we fear disease as much as we do, we're attracting it, you see? Because whatever you put out is what you get back. Do you see that? We're attracting it into our lives. What type of meditation do you do? Be still and know that I am God. I don't think I'm peculiar in that. I have children. Practice on my children first. I have five children. Um, They don't need my voice telling them where to go and what to do. They may need my voice to say, relax, relax, take a deep breath. Be still and know that I am. I am is the divinity that dwells inside of us. I am is that part of us that lies just behind the heart. That speck of light that does not die. And that's the reason why I sign my name is as I am normal. Because when you take I am, which is the divinity that I am, and you take your first name, your first name was whispered to the person who named you, and it carries all the elements of your life's work. So when I say I am normal, I'm calling on the divinity to help me to manifest my life's work. So you said that you're a pastor. Do you consider yourself Christian or are you a spiritual pastor? No, I'll tell you this. I started off as a Christian. I still am a Christian. I have studied Hinduism. I have studied... um, you name it, I've studied. I've studied seven religions in order to get my degree. I have lived among Hindus. I've lived among Muslims. All roads lead home. All roads lead home. And every one of the holy books has got something that we can learn from, depending on what our culture is. You see what I'm saying? I continue to be a Christian. However, I have chosen from the day I was ordained to take my ministry into prisons. My ministry has always been in prisons, 27 years, because I I responded to rescue the parish and care for the dying. I I have a hard time with with, with these buildings and the edifices and and the doctrine. See what I'm saying? If you pick up the Bible, you pick up the Upanishads, you pick up the Quran, you're really seeing the same truth. It may be put forward in a different way, in a different language, to suit a different set of people in a different culture. It all says the same thing. So yes, I am still a Christian, but I sometimes call myself a spiritualized Christian. Because everything that I found in all the other holy books that I was looking at is in that Bible too. It depends on your level of spiritual growth in order for you to interpret it. If we go back to your NDE, when you came back, you were depressed. Were you, yes. de- were you depressed because you missed such an awesome place? Or were you depressed because you're back here on this place? I was depressed because I think I recognized that in the spirit, in the spiritual form, I was who I am. I recognized that. And when I, I mean, 
entering the body. When I slammed into the body, oh my God, a body is not a pretty thing from the inside out. I remember it being clammy, being dark, being smelly. It, it, it wasn't pretty at all. And I think what I missed was that, that absolute feeling, the buoyancy of being alive, really, really, really alive. The, the, the being able to absorb the love, all that love that was coming. I just longed to be there. And it was very, I mean, at the time I had my very first son. And, and then I got kind of guilty because I had this longing to return. And I'm asking myself, well, what about the love that I have for my son and my family? See what I'm saying? So it caused depression. Hmm. We are eternal beings of light. Every incarnation, every time we come to earth, we bring the levels of light that we have. We experience adversity, etc., and we expand the light. We take it back to the other side, and then they are they are counselors now who will work with us now. You have achieved this level of light. So the next lifetime around, your, your intention, your purpose will be different. You see what I'm saying? And then we do that enough that after a while, there's no need for incarnations anymore because earth has nothing more to teach us and we move into other realms and other dimensions. And my book, Awakening, talks about it. It's really a, it's a, it's a portion of my life, not all of my life. It's a portion of my life that begins with my birth and follows me through the Neda experience and what I experienced after that, what these eight spiritual teachers taught me and how they taught me what they taught me. I had to be retaught the Bible and how to interpret it because I had different senses and I had different perceptions. Can you give any advice on how a person can discover what their purpose is? Discipline. Discipline. I worked with eight spiritual teachers. None of them ever attempted to tell me what my purpose was. Oh, there is a purpose and it will be revealed to you. But what they put me through was spiritual discipline. What is the point of telling somebody they're going to be a doctor if they have no intention of going to med school? See what I'm saying? And that's the reason why our purpose is hidden from us because we're not demonstrating to spirit that we're willing to do the work or put the discipline in that will allow us to be able to accomplish it. So if you really want to know what your purpose is, Find a spiritual coach. Uh, get serious. Read some books. When we read books, what we're doing is reminding ourselves of what we already know. And then we can go inside. But it takes discipline. It's like the job that you do, what you do. I, I mean, I can't do what you do. Technology is not my thing. But I'm sure it took training. It took discipline, did it not? for you to master and become the expert that you are. Spirit will not release the information 
until we give signals and signs that we are willing to do the work. And once we show that we're willing to do the work, it will be revealed step by step. For example, there was an elderly couple. He was 90 years of age. She was 87. He taught me how to fast. He taught me that the body is a sanctuary. And you've got to treat it as such. And that was his part, you know. You've got to have two bowel movements a day, normal. You've got to find a way to do that. You have got to have set aside quiet time so you can be still and be instructed. You've got to take yourself to bed by a certain time in the night because spirit wants to download information for three hours before you can actually get sleep. So it takes discipline. And it, it takes intention. What is your intention? Do you really have an intention? Do you want to know your life's purpose? Because if you do, spirit will work with you and draw into your space those who can guide and direct you as to how to proceed with the work that has to be done. A 90-year-old man taught me how to fast beginning with 24 hours and took it all the way to 40 days. And to this day in my life, during Lent, along with the Muslims, my husband and I fast. You got to empty. You know, Christ said, you can't put new wine into old skins. <laughs> you have got to empty the body and release. Forgiveness is the most powerful thing in the world. Because if you're not forgiving, you're holding on to the crap. And if you're holding on to the crap, spirit is not going to release to you. What you're supposed to do if you don't have an intention to release the crap that you carry. Besides the depression, did you have any other negative after effects from your experience? No. No. I, um, my um, growth was interesting because I was married at the time. When I had a near-death experience, I had my first child. I already had my first child. I have had four children since then. So I did not have two, three hours a day to sit and meditate. You see what I'm saying? I was having babies. I was raising children. I was moving from country to country. I've lived in three continents. You know, you shut down life in England and you get back to Guyana. And then you come to America. So that I like to think of myself as having gone through what I call practical spirituality. I was taught you have to give up, you have to give up quiet and meditative time. A 90-year-old guy told, taught me that. To this day, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning because that was the only time I could get at least an hour before I had to get my family up, get the kids off to school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So discipline, discipline is a big part. So you became a spiritual counselor in prisons. Therapist. Oh, a spiritual therapist in prisons. First spiritual therapist in the United States of America. Can you tell us what it's like working in prisons? Oh, dear. First, I'll start with the day when they revealed to me, after having done all this work, that my life, my life's purpose was in prison. I was driving. <laughs> and I had this beautiful piece of music playing in the background. And um, the voice in my head said, um, you know, pull over. I pulled over and I sat there for a moment in meditation and I watched myself go into a prison 
and come back out. And, and, and the first thing that came to my mind at that point, oh my God, am I going to do something wrong? And I, will I be arrested? Mm-hmm. And then the guy said, oh, no, 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 go back to the image. Did you notice you went in to the prison and you came back out in the same clothes you were wearing? So then it dawned on me, well, I must have gone in there to do something. Up until then, I'd never known anybody who went to prison. I knew nothing about prisons, et cetera, et cetera. And then I got the instruction that um, they gave me the outline for reprogram your life. And uh, I took it as dictation, three yellow pads, wrote it all up, typed it up. I mean, I'm absolutely amazed at this thing. And then I found uh, the person who was considered in Washington, D.C. as the, the guru or, the, or the, the, the master or psychologist on, on substance abuse. And I called him up and I said, I'm going to fax you some information and I want you to be honest with me. Um, what do you think about it? And so I typed it all up and I faxed it to him. And he called me and he says, I devoted my entire life med school, you know, studied psychology, that took it all the way to the, to, the, to the doctorate level. He said, but you just took what they taught me to the next level. And that kind of like surprised me. Um, I use music. Every individual functions on a, a range of vibrations, a range of images, And I am told that there's a piece of music in the world for every single soul. To this day, I spend about an hour every day on YouTube and I'm listening to music and I'm sampling music. And an example of how I worked was I have this, I'm I'm, I'm there on a Sunday and their pastor. But Monday through Thursday, I am now their counselor. I don't do talk therapy. They have a psychologist, and I would say to them, you want to do talk therapy, you go to your psychologist. I come in, and I come in with music. And I will have usually about 35 guys sitting in a circle, and I will bring in volunteers who are going to observe. They're not allowed to know the guy's name, so I put a number on each chair, number one, number two, number three. See, they identify that way. And I would bring in these tapes that are made at random. You may have a piece of jazz right next to a piece of gospel, right next to a piece of classical music. And I'm playing it softly in the background. And my volunteers are observing body language and they're making notes. And when we come out, we will sit down and we will, well, number one, seem to, he seemed to kind of come alive when Mozart was played. Uh, number three seemed to be more alive when jazz was playing. I'll take note of that now. And now I'll have individual consultation with these guys. And I remember the very first guy I said to him, I said, do you understand that you resonate on Mozart? And he said, Mo who? Never heard of him. <laughs> well, his circumstances in life never took him to that vibration. Now I'm going to use pieces of Mozart music individually with them. And we combine that, which you see, I'll use the music with them. It might run three or five minutes, and then he'll go to his psychologist for talk therapy. 
and he'll talk it through there. So we, we link the spiritual aspect into the clinical practice. Hmm. And in that way, hundreds, when I retired, retired after 27 years, when I retired, of course, they had a little function for me and I was thanking them for the opportunity to have touched a few lives. And the, um, <laughs> the head of the prison took the microphone from me. She said, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a hint of the few lives she's talking about. She's been around for 27 years. She carried classes of 35 residents at a time. Do the math. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. They came out. I followed them through, and I married many of them. Performed the marriage ceremony, baptized their children. Um, seven, seven large businesses have been left behind in Washington D.C. that were started by ex-prisoners. Many of them went on to get the psychological degree and came and worked beside me in prisoners' councils. But it was my life's work. And that life's work required a lot of training, spiritual training. When I entered the prison, I entered, of course, at first to work with children. That was hard for me. I was a mother and I really could not handle children being locked up. So I said to, to my guide, I said, this is hard. I, I'm more, I'm too emotional. I can't. So I moved from that to working with women. It's very successful working with women. And um, a program that I ran, uh, the press carried an article on it. And a group of men in a maximum security prison wrote to me and said, we have no programs. Would you modify it and bring it to us? And I freaked out. I'm like, but, but men don't listen to women. <laughs> how, how can I do this? And I mean, I freaked out and, and my guide said to me, but who's asking you to do anything? We're only asking you to show up. Just show up. <laughs> we'll do the rest. And... Um, it's been, it's been a journey. I, I had initially, I had problems with, oh my God, these, these people have done terrible things in the world, you know? <clears throat> and um, how, how, how am I going to be able to relate to them? And then a line from Bob Marley's piece of music hit me. The biggest man you ever did see was once And from that point onwards, when I looked at them, I saw the spark of light that they came into the world with. And I no longer saw them as prisoners. I never, no longer saw them as in the light of the way humanity would see them. And, and had the opportunity to, to be blessed. Uh, in my book, Awakening, um, I, I did a thank you. And part of the thank you was to the men and women in prison who let me in and allowed me to learn as much as I learned from human nature 
from the way in which we hold on to things, to how to release what needs to be released. I learned as much as they did. And what I thank them for is that we, both of us, on my side as well as theirs, we walk through the field of redemption and we both learned from it. And I can see what I have learned working with prisoners, working with humanity, is that uh, I, I, I have been able to transfer what I've learned to my own children. And I have five grown children, the youngest one of which uh, just graduated with his degree in psychology. And he's the one that will pick up, pick up the journey where I left it off. And that for me is the blessing. To know that when I leave, I leave. I leave one behind. The others have taken you know, different accounting and music. And, but my youngest has been the one to. Um, he volunteered right beside me in prison and uh, went, on, went on to take up the task. Life is truly what we make it, you know. Because we are vibrating fields of energy. What we put out is what we attract and what we bring back to us. And our guides from the other side know the lessons we need to learn. And unfortunately, if we won't go towards the lessons voluntarily, they have to turn the screws on with adversity. How does one get in touch with their guides? Again, discipline. It starts with the power of intention. What is your intention for your life? And if your intention for your life is more about a spiritual accomplishment, then you'll draw, you'll draw those guides closer. You see what I'm saying? In other words, you got to start the trail. We live our lives looking outward. We live our lives allowing the television, social media to tell us what our choices should be. And to divine, design and define our goals and objectives. But first, we've got to stop and seriously think about our intention. There is power in our intention. And once our intention, see, my intention once I came back was I got to find the truth. I want to know the truth. And that led me into serious meditation, drew people into my life who taught me what I needed to learn and, and took me there and gave me the ability to, to, to... I think my guides contacted me rather than me contacting them at a certain point in my training. All right. Due to time, I'm going to have to switch gears on you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your book, Awakenings. Yes. Should Awakenings. we find that on your it's website? On it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Okay. I do have a website out there called Awakening Series, www.awakeningseries, awakening-series.com. Mm-hmm. And that's the website that talks about my book. My book is a autobiography of a part of my life, which speaks in detail about the near-death experience in detail of how when I came out of my near-death experience, I did not speak about it for 15 years because in those years, they really would, I feel they really would have put me in a mental institution. 
And so I did not speak about it until my mother was dying. And then the first time I spoke about it was to, to tell her that there was nothing to fear. So awakening follows the journey, follows the near-death experience, and it follows the journey after the near-death experience and the places and the ways in which I open up. In awakening, you will find something, a section that I talk about there about earth angels. We tend to think of, we all want to attract all these masters in the universe. But when we are on this journey, spirit will send to us what I call earth angels. And I record them in the book as I go along. You know, as I go along, I'm recording the the people that showed up in my life. Uh, After 21 years of marriage, I got divorced with five children and then stayed a single parent for 21 years before I remarried. But along the way, it was amazing. These people who showed up in my life to help me raise these children. See what I'm saying? Uh, People, pastors, people with whom I worked. And I refer to them as earth angels. So the book kind of guides you through the process of gaining wisdom. Because by the time I had worked with, I was on death row. Uh, with, with, um, and this gentleman was on death row and they finally executed him. And when, they, when he realized that he had lost his, his um, last appeal, he appealed to me to be his pastor. And if nothing else, I think I carried that interaction. And I think a lot of Christians should read that because he looked at me and he said, but the first day I arrived on death row and he said, um, Who is Christ talking to when he says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Open and the doors will knock and the doors will be opened unto you. And I said, well, he's talking to his disciples. And he said, that's my point exactly. He was talking to 12 men who dropped everything in their life, turned their attention and their awareness to him. So, of course, those words were very valid. Can you feel that? We throw them around now, like ask and it shall be given unto you. But, but, but have you really made a commitment, an intention to really surrender the life that you have now? You see, awakening is not about changing us. Awakening is about awakening us to who we really are. We are spirits temporarily trapped in a physical body. That's what the book is mainly about. And while we are in a physical body, we have the potential to be able to get in touch with the spiritual side of ourselves. So awakening speaks to the fact that you have eternal life. There is no death. There is transition. And when you transition, your processing skills are a lot more heightened than when you were here. After listening to this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chat. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they reach you? They can reach me on, I have two websites. One is called www.reprogramyourlife, as if it's one word, .org. And that's the coaching side of my life. And then there is www.dot 
awakening-series.com. And that speaks to the book. And it also carries a blog. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? I am no longer in the prisons right now, but I am now that COVID, we've got COVID, so it slowed me down. But now that I'm fully vaccinated and I've got my booster shots, I am now working on a project that I want to work with the children of men and women who are incarcerated because they lose so much of their their opportunity to be parented. And so I think my next next, um, major project is about children of incarcerated parents because in my opinion, they also spend time locked down. See what I mean? And so that's my next project. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? There is hope. There is hope because that hope lies within us. And the message I would like to leave is the message that they gave me when they told me that they will not tolerate me going back to the spiritual world before my time. Love is divine. God or the universe is love. God isn't a man, you know. It's a phenomenal vibrating field of energy we cannot comprehend, so we put a name to it. Love is divine. God, the universe, is love. And love, when it hits the density of earth, turns into light. And light is the steward of all creation. So strive for expanding the light that you carry. Give it out into the universe because as you give it out, you see, once we make that determination that we want to be light bearers, we want to bring hope into the world, we want to send love into the world, the universe takes us seriously and embeds us with this thing called love and light. And as we go along, we can pass it with a smile. We can pass it with a touch. We can pass it with a word. But there is hope. And that hope lies within the light that we carry within us and our ability and readiness to share it with the world. I will encourage those listening to go to Amazon and pick up a copy or download a copy of Awakening, it will speak a lot about this thing called the spiritual life. Particularly from a practical perspective. Thank you for that message, Norma. And thank you for being our guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you massive success in whatever you do. Thank you so much. It has been a privilege. And... um, something that I enjoyed and I'm looking forward to seeing the podcast. Well, have a wonderful day. Season's greetings. Enjoy the season. It's the season of good will to all humankind. Enjoy. Thank Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.